Andrea's study the Word. Donnie, bring lights up just a little bit more so everybody can see their Bible real good, and let's jump into the Bible and studying the Word uh, this morning. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to the last book of the Bible, and the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. We're going to be looking at verse 12 through 16 this morning as we close out uh, this series called Life Beyond the Glass. Now, during the last six, uh, last five weeks, I've uh, shared uh, lessons on what heaven uh, is going to be like. And if you've been with us, you've picked up on these lessons, or, or you can go back online at our website and listen to them, and, and that'd be fine if you like to. But we've discovered some specific things that have broken down uh, some bad images of what we have uh, about heaven because we have the attitude that heaven's going to be a boring, dull place, clouds, harps, uh, you know, wings and all that stuff. And we're thinking to ourselves, man, if that's the kind of place heaven's going to be, I'm not so, so sure I want to go there, including myself. I'll be honest with you about that. But we have learned that heaven, number one, uh, week number one, is going to be a place of renewal and redemption. In the second lesson, we learned that heaven's going to be a place of love and relationships. The next lesson, number three, we learned that heaven's going to be a place of constant intellectual growth and development. We're not going to vegetate when we get in heaven. There'll be new things to learn about God and, uh, and His creation. It's going to be an amazing place. We learned that uh, the new heaven and the new earth is going to be uh, an amazing place of adventure and exploration. Man, it's going to be an amazing place to discover all the things that God has for you in store. And uh, we laid out in that, uh, uh, that study about how every single day is going to be a new adventure uh, and a new place for us to explore. Last week, we talked about the fact that heaven is going to be a place of productive work and satisfying rest. Now, I know that the words work and heaven don't fit in with a lot of folks and their attitude of what heaven's going to be about. But last week we studied and there's scripture after scripture after scripture that says when you get to heaven, it's not going to be sat down on an easy chair, drink sodas, or play an endless round of golf, but rather heaven's going to be a place of productive work, not dull, mind-bending, mundane work, but a productive work that just fits in our wheelhouse of the talents and gifts and passions that God has given us. Now, I'm not describing what kind of work you're going to do there necessarily, but I will say that your work in heaven will be right in line with the things that give you great passion and satisfaction here. But also, it'll be a place of satisfying rest. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to go on from this series with one last lesson that kind of connects to it. Uh, the, the, the title of the message is going to be Like Him. I'm going to look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 when it asks, uh, you know, uh, we're not exactly sure, our answer to the question, we're not exactly sure what we're going to look like in heaven, but we can be sure of this, we're going to be like Him. And we're going to talk about how Jesus' resurrection impacts our own resurrection. Well, in today's lesson, I want to give you one last image of heaven. And heaven's going to be a place of joy and laughter. Joy and laughter. And I would say to a lot of you, man, you need to start practicing that now so your face doesn't break when you get in heaven, you know. I, I look at you all the time, and I'm saying to myself, my goodness, what a rough crowd sometimes. This morning you're not like that, and that's a great thing. Now I want you to say... Actually, you've been saying hello to Jaws uh, every single morning, but if you notice the fishbowl this morning, you will notice something uh, very peculiar. What is it? It's empty. I want to tell you that Jaws has officially 
left the building. You'll learn how that happened next week, but I just want to tell you, he is gone. He has left the building. He is gone for two reasons, and uh, really it's because of two misconceptions that Jaws has. Number one, Jaws figures that if he's going to have any fun in his life at all, he's going to have to leave the ball, all right? And number two, Jaws has thought in his own mind, he's carefully listened to every message, and he's thought to himself, if I'm going to have any fun at all beyond the glass, I'm going to have to go to hell. Because heaven surely can't be fun at all. Now let me tell you why Jaws has come to those two conclusions. It's really about you, what he is seeing, because he's been here for five weeks now. And he's watched y'all worship. He's watched what you've been doing. And as an observant, an observer of Christians, he's come to two conclusions. Number one, he's come to decide that a lot of y'all live your life like your picture on your driver's license. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, a blind look, dull in the camera uh, as the picture's taken. There are a lot of folks that come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. They look like they're mad or ticked off with the world. They've got the sourest expression on their faith, and they come and they sing about the joy of the Lord, but, man, they're mad in the way they look every single day. And he's watched that. He has watched that, and he's picked up on that in your life. But number two, he's realized this, that being a Christian is really about sneaking around behind God's back and other Christians' back to have fun in the world. Now tell me that you don't understand what I'm talking about. You see, most of us have the attitude that if we're going to have any fun at all, it's going to mean we're going to have to find a place where God isn't looking or find a place where there aren't any other Christians and then we can have fun in our life. I'll explain to you why we have that attitude. The reason is that most of us have grown up in churches or places that, man, they don't have a fun theology at all. They they have lost the attitude of fun being anything to do with being in church. I grew up in a place like that. I grew up in an anti-fun church. Anybody else grew up in a church like that? I mean, it was anti-fun. I remember uh, that we did not have parties at our church. We had fellowship meals. Anybody agree with that? You know what I'm talking about. You know, we didn't clap. We would say a solemn... Amen. Every now and then when somebody got baptized, you know. Uh, I remember my minister growing up, uh, over 20 years, he was pastor of our congregation, and I only saw him one time without his official dress on. Now, his official dress was that, by the way, we called ministers brothers back then. You all remember that? Brother Roy, Brother Neil, Brother what? I'm not sure exactly where that came from, but that's how we described them. The only people we talked about as being brothers, and they weren't our brothers. That never made any sense to me at all. Uh, but, but this was his official dress that I saw all the time. Starch, white shirt, tie, suit, and dress shoes. Now, he wore that all the time. I grew up thinking, uh, you know, there are three sexes, men, women, and ministers. He had two kids, uh, and I'm not exactly sure how they came into the world, but I was exactly, you know, there was one way that I was sure that they must not have come. I I didn't understand how they got there. But there was only one time that I ever saw Brother Roy dressed down. 
That was when he was driving the church bus to Clater Lake Park one time for a youth trip, and uh, he decided, he announced, it's going to be a casual day. Everybody come casual that day. I'm thinking, we're going to a lake for a picnic. You've got to tell people to dress casual for that. Yeah, Brother Roy came, and he did not have on his starch shirt, tie, and uh, suit, and dress shoes. He had on a starch white shirt, his dress suit pants, and dress shoes. And that's how we enjoyed our time together at the lake. Didn't do me a whole lot more good when I went to Bible college because I went to Bible college that had rules against everything, man. There were rules against smoking, drinking, uh, you know, uh, cussing, uh, everything. Girls had rules about how long their dresses had to be, pantsuits, I'm not lying. They had to wear jackets or, uh, that covered their hips, you know, their hands, just like this. Jeannie, am I right? Uh, just like this. And they came down, their fingers had to touch the bottom of their jacket all, all the time. We could hold hands, but that was as far as we'd go, uh, as far as it was in public. Couldn't play cards. Our motto at Johnson Bible College when I went there uh, was, uh, you know, we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with girls that do. That's just the way we, uh, you know, that was our philosophy. But I realized all during that time, even though we were saying all those rules in church, in all honesty, I saw exactly what Jaws saw. And that was a lot of people, including myself, slipping out and having fun when I assumed or when we assumed God wasn't watching or anybody else was watching. Now, are you on the page with me this morning? Do you understand that concept of how we've butchered what fun ought to be like? I want to talk to you about a word that's found seven times in the book of Revelation and it's found uh, in this section of Scripture uh, and it's a, a word that goes is the very heart of the word. It's the word joy and happiness. The word is the word blessed, blessed. And you might say to yourself, what does that have with joy and happiness? Well, the definition of the word blessed, and it's used over 500 times in Scripture, every time you see that, you ought to picture uh, the word happy. Happy is the person. It's the happiness that grows out of a blessing or something that you would receive or a personal relationship with God. So let's read this section of Scripture, and I want to teach you two eternal truths from this section of Scripture this morning. Let's read with me uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. It says, Behold, I am coming soon. Jesus is speaking here. And my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, beginning and the end. Here's the word, verse 14. Blessed, happy, joyous are those who wash their robes, that have, have had the right to the tree of life, that they may have right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and the morning star. Now this morning I want to give you two, uh, just teach you two truths uh, about eternity. The first truth that I want to give you is this. Heaven is going to be a place of joy and laughter. Heaven will be a place 
of joy and laughter. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes uh, that they may have the right to the tree of life and they can go through the gates into the city. You know, the Bible is a book filled with joy and laughter. If you add up all the verses about joy, rejoicing, laughing, happiness, and blessing, you'll find way over a thousand verses in Scripture, way over that, that talk about joy and laughter. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, Paul calls God, God the blessed, remember, blessed means happy, God the happy uh, uh, God. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, you will be to me, O God, uh, you will fill me, O God, with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Proverbs 15, 13 says, a happy heart makes the face cheerful. Maybe the reason your face doesn't look very cheerful very often is because your heart is so screwed up, man. That's got to be a blessed heart. It's got to be a, a happy heart before your face can show joy. Psalm chapter 68, verse 3 says, May the righteous uh, be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Four different words used in one verse describing what our lives as Christians ought to be like. Happy, joyful, rejoicing, joyful, glad. You know, Jesus was a gifted communicator, wasn't he? People were constantly amazed at the truth that Jesus taught and the authority that he taught with the scripture says. Jesus wrapped his communication, his challenges in the context of stories that would cause people to laugh and stories that would cause people to cry. Now, you've read the parables of Jesus, and you say, well, Neil, I don't see a whole lot funny about the story of parables of Jesus, and I'll tell you why. It's because our sense of humor has changed, all right? Uh, during uh, Jesus' day, uh, jokes were really about exaggeration. exaggeration. You would take something, uh, just something normal, and exaggerate it, and people would crack up. And what I want to tell you, Jesus would teach in the Sermon on the Mount, or he's teaching his parables, there'd be people that just wouldn't chuckle, man. They would just roll out on the floor laughing. For instance, Jesus talked about salt losing its saltiness. Now, to us, we're trying to get the theological ideas about what that happens to me, but people, when they first heard that, salt losing its saltiness, that is hilarious, man. That is, that is a funny thing. Or how about this? Light a lamp. Don't do this, rather, Jesus said. Don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And everybody's thinking to themselves, you know, what nincompoop would do that? Nobody would do that, and everybody would be laughing about that. Or how about this one? Jesus said, before you are judgmental about the speck that you see in somebody else's eye, you ought to what? What does he say? Take the log out of your eye. People didn't read that and say, oh, yeah, that's a deep theological truth. That was a deep theological truth, but they only got it after a good laugh. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus was a kind of communicator that people flocked to, and I know that he was a person that had joy and happiness and was fun to be around because kids constantly came to him. How many people watch kids flocking to a grouch? What type of person they come to? Man, somebody's the life of the party. I remember when I was little, uh, we would have family gatherings for Christmas and Thanksgiving and uh, reunions and all that sort of thing. And, and, and my 
family, uh, this is my mother's side of the family, they were all church-going folks, and they were very, very straight-laced. I mean, I am talking straight-laced, straight. I remember they could never wear shorts to a family event. I'm not lying. We had a family reunion, and there were swing sets and all that stuff, and whatever we had worn to church that day, which always included a tie and a nice jacket, we wore to the family reunion. Now, that's a dumb, and we're going to have fun at the family reunion. But I remember there was one person that every kid loved being around. You know who it was? It was my Aunt Lil. My Aunt Lil was a fifth-grade teacher in Virginia Beach. She was teacher of the year, not just for Virginia Beach, but for the whole state of Virginia one year. Man, she was the type of person that made anything fun. And all the rest of the adults were sitting around, you know, uh, debating about who died when and all that sort of thing, you know. And all those kids would be on the floor laughing and playing with Aunt Lil. I want to tell you something. If Jesus were in the room, do you think Jesus would be sitting with the old stogies and, and, you know, conversing about deep theological truths? Or do you think if he saw kids around, Jesus would be in the floor playing with the kids? It's the second image that we see of Jesus over and over and over again. And out of that grew the statement that Jesus said, unless you become like a little kid, you're never going to be part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus constantly talked about joy. He talked about heaven being a place of joy and laughter. Matthew chapter 5, turn there. Matthew chapter 5, we know it as, uh, as the Beatitudes, but I want you to notice what the scripture has to say uh, in Matthew chapter 5 concerning joy and happiness and how to live your life with that. Notice what it says. Jesus starts out in verse 3. He said, blessed... Remember the word should be translated happy. Happy are the pure, pure in spirit, poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they're going to be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, Happy or blessed is the person who doesn't fall away because of me and the teachings that you hear from me. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 16, Jesus said, Happy are your eyes because they see what I have to say and your ears because they hear what you have to say. Randy Alcorn says, If you cannot picture Jesus with his disciples, teasing them and laughing with them, you need to reevaluate your understanding of the incarnation. God became man became flesh and became one of us so that he could save us from our sins. But you know, not only do we read in Scripture that Jesus was a person that was fun, loved to be around, laugh, had a good joke. I want to tell you something. If there was a good, clean joke going around, Jesus knew it. If there was a group of people around, they were laughing. Jesus would be in the middle of it. Jesus wouldn't be the one out standing all by himself, holy and glum, you know. Jesus would be right in the middle of the party. Remember, do you remember his first, his very first miracle, by the way? What was it? He turned water into prune juice. No, water into wine. 
so that the party could get an even, become an even bigger party. That blows me away. But the Bible describes heaven as a place of laughter. As a matter of fact, it describes heaven, uh, laughter, as one of our greatest rewards in heaven. I know heaven's going to be a place of laughter because it is right now. You remember Luke chapter 15 and verse 7 when it says every time a person repents of their sins, what happens in heaven? Do you remember among the angels? They celebrate. They break out in laughter and joyful song. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 6 and verse 21. Just one verse of scripture about uh, the joy that you will see in heaven. Luke chapter 6 and verse 21. I want you to notice this. Everybody turn. Jesus says in that passage of scripture, Blessed are you, remember, happy are you, who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Who blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Now, if you notice the context of what Jesus is teaching here, he's not talking about blessed are you if you weep right now because in 10 minutes you're going to feel better and you're going to start laughing. What he's talking about is eternal reward. Heaven's going to be a place of great joy. Martin Luther one time said, if you're not allowed to laugh in heaven, I don't think I even want to go there. Martin Luther. C.S. Lewis referred to joy as the serious business of heaven. And he depicted laughter in heaven in one of his books where several of his characters attended a great reunion on the new Narnia. And this is what he says, I quote. He said there was greeting and kissing and handshaking and old jokes revived. He said, by the way, you never know how good an old joke can be until you revived it after five or six hundred years. Joy in heaven. Folks, to focus the eyes of early Christians on the joy of heaven, the Greek church called Easter Monday, Bright Monday, a day of laughter and of joy. Heaven's going to be a joyous, joyous place. But I want you to go back, to, because I want to teach you, to go back to the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, and verse 14 and 15, actually verse 15, because I want to teach you very quickly a second spiritual truth. I want you to understand that heaven is going to be a place of unbelievable joy and laughter. We go on for hours this morning talking about that, but I want to see where Jesus winds up after he talks about the joy and laughter of heaven. He says, number two, second truth, you can write this down if you care to, and that is that hell's going to be a place of misery and sorrow. Misery and sorrow. Jesus says outside, outside of heaven, are the dogs, not literal physical dogs, but dogs spiritually. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I remember the day, that, uh, it's, been, it's been a number of years ago, but I remember the day the lady came up to me after church one Sunday. I talked about uh, what uh, uh, the Bible has to say about hell, uh, probably what Jesus had to say about hell. And she walked up to me that day. I'll never forget what she said. She said, uh, me and my family will never be back at your church. We're leaving because we don't like it when you talk about hell. It scares our kids. I didn't say a word to that lady, but in my mind I was thinking, you know, then you would hate Jesus. Because you realize Jesus taught more about hell than anybody else in the New Testament. 
As a matter of fact, Jesus describes hell with more words than he describes heaven in the New Testament. Let me give you two or three things that Jesus uses to describe hell. I could give a whole lot of stuff, but just kind of sum it all up in several descriptions of hell. Number one, Jesus said hell's going to be a place of eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about this. Eternal punishment in hell. Listen to what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Uh, 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 Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least one of these, uh, you did it for me. And then he will say uh, to those, go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7 uh, describes those individuals who reject Jesus. And listen to what Paul says. He says, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of, of the Lord. Number two, it's going to be a place of conscious punishment. Number one, eternal punishment. Number two, conscious punishment. Now, jot down, if you would, Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 28, because that's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Both died. The rich man had lived an ungodly, wicked life, uh, and he died. The Bible says he goes to hell. Lazarus dies, and he goes to Abraham's bosom. Do you remember what the story goes on to say there? The story goes on to say that the rich man in hell and agony looked up, and he saw Lazarus in heaven, and he said, Father Abraham, would you send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and put it on my tongue because I am in torment here. Jesus describes hell as a place filled with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell's going to be a place of, etern- of an eternity of regret. Now there is not one word ever in Scripture of people in heaven seeing people in hell or understanding the depth of their sorrow. But Jesus in this one story describes hell as a conscious awareness of what's on the other side. And folks, I want to tell you one of the most miserable miserable parts of hell will be realizing what we've missed on the other side. Hell, number one, is a place of eternal punishment. Number two, it's a place of conscious punishment. Number three, it's a place of isolated punishment. Now, I want to pull together two images that Jesus uses over and over and over again. And he uses these so common that I didn't even want to turn to a passage because he uses these two images so often. One, he describes hell as outer darkness. For instance, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 13. Outer darkness... But he also describes hell as a fiery furnace, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 50, and many other passages of Scripture. And I always wonder to myself, how could that be the case? How could it be true? How could hell be outer darkness and at the same time a fiery furnace? Because a fiery furnace is bright and glowing. And so how could a bright and glowing furnace be outer darkness at the same time? My stepbrother, Larry, was a, is a retired firefighter from uh, uh, Roanoke City uh, fire, uh, fire Department. And uh, I asked him that question one day. Uh, he understood fire. He'd trained in it. He was a fireman for 25-plus years. And I said, Larry, could you explain to me these two concepts? They just don't seem to fit together, fiery furnace, outer darkness. 
He said, Neil, let me give you an illustration to explain exactly what Jesus meant. Now, Larry's not a particularly godly man, but he does understand this concept and particularly understands firefighting. He said, Neil, whenever they would train us uh, to go into a room to find or into a building to find, uh, you know, somebody that was uh, in a victim left behind in the building, he said what they would do, they'd bring us to the door, and he said they'd put a blindfold on us, and then they'd, we'd put on our breathing apparatus, and we'd put on the, uh, the mask, and then they would cover over the mask so there's no way we could see. And he said we would tie a rope around us, and we would crawl on our bellies on the floor uh, all around the room, all around the room, all around multiple rooms, until we found the, uh, uh, the victim, and then we would drag him out. I said, Larry... Why the blindfold? He said, Neil, because firefighters always know that in the hottest fire is the blackest darkness of smoke. Satan has wanted to convince us that hell's going to be a rowdy time with all our rowdy friends. You know, tipping back a few beers with Satan and some ungodly person and having fun, high-fiving and, and just having a blast. But Jesus describes it as a place of isolated punishment. In darkness so dark that you wouldn't be able to even see or touch or understand that there would be others around you in hell. Folks, I'll be honest with you this morning. If I had a choice, I'd leave the hell part out of the Bible. I don't like it. I, I, I wish I didn't have to believe in hell. I don't want to believe in hell. I want to believe that God will just take everybody to heaven. But you know, if I make what I believe or what other people believe the basis of truth, then I've made myself God rather than subduing myself to him as one of his followers. So folks, whether we like it or not, if we want to believe in hell, in heaven, we have to believe in hell. So what? Don't yell it out because of the nature of the question this morning. So what? So what is really about your choice? And your choice is to be happy or miserable in this life. So that you can be happy or miserable in the life to come. There's several things, jot them down, about your choice that you can make uh, this morning. Number one, I want you to understand that your decision to be happy or bitter really has nothing to do with your situation. It doesn't have anything to do with your situation at all. It has everything to do with your heart. Your choice is about your heart, not your situation. Now, in the middle of April, I'm going to start a series in, in uh, the book of Revelation called Storm Warnings. But I want you to understand, the book of Revelation, we're going to study through it verse by verse, and we'll be in it uh, up until the fall. The book of Revelation was written to believers who were locked in the violent storms of life. But God always comes back to them with a warning. And he says, folks, don't look at the storms, no matter how bad they are. Look at the condition of your heart. Number two... Your decision about joy or anger uh, isn't about just holding on till Jesus comes in misery. You know, there are a lot of people, oh, I'm just going to hold on. I'm just going to try to hold on, make it till Jesus comes. It's a miserable life. But it's about learning to live a blessed life, a happy life, right now in the face of your storms. 
Jesus said, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you can have abundant life. Number three, your decision is completely about trust in the midst of your storm. Folks, the problem is you trust yourself much more than you trust God. And joy never comes from uh, trusting in yourself. I want to give you just three, just, just three uh, hard applications this morning, three things that you do to help increase uh, your joy and your happiness in your life. Write them down. Number one, I want you to consider God's blessing for you in your life today. I'm serious about that. I want you to consider God's blessing uh, in your life uh, today. You saw the 30-hour famine video, and on April the uh, 13th and 14th, we are going to ask the congregation, along with our TNT kids, and they're leading the charge. Uh, they're going to be doing a 30-hour famine. Some of them are going to be coming up to you and saying, hey, tribute and all the money is going to uh, a great cause to be able to feed uh, through uh, a world vision to feed hungry kids all around, the, all around the world, and I want you to do that. But we're also going to have a symphony of prayer during that time, from 12 o'clock on Saturday until 6 o'clock on Sunday night. We're going to close out with a fellowship meal time for worship. be a great time. But there's a sign-up sheet on this table right over here. It's broken into hour-long blocks. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, while we're singing our invitation song, to get up out of your seat and go over and say, hey, I want to sign up for an hour to pray. There'll be uh, great things for you to do in our prayer room. You can bring your families. Uh, you can come by yourself if you want to. That'll be fine. But we will have prayer activities. It's not going to be you just having to come and set. I don't know what to do. We will direct you on how exactly to pray. I promise you. It will be a blessed, blessed time. Uh, sign up over there. I already have. Sign up over there during the song. You can move in, in just a few minutes. Number two, I would encourage you to reevaluate your giving today. Reevaluate my, re my giving, you say. Yeah, reevaluate your giving. I don't want you to ask yourself are you giving at a level that allows you to have fun in your giving? You know, that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says. It says God loves a, a cheerful giver. You see, so many people give at a level that's so low that they never expect God to do anything in their lives. But are you giving at a level of challenge that causes you to say, man, I, I don't understand how God's doing this, but it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I've got to give you one story, one real quick story. Uh, we, uh, and Carol, I hadn't even mentioned this to you, uh, but we just recently added a missionary partner uh, to our, uh, to, to, to our uh, giving. We didn't steal from, we didn't steal from our tithe uh, to do this. Uh, above and beyond our tithe to the church, above and beyond that, uh, we added on a missionary partner. She happens to live right now in our house, and we're hoping that if we could add her on as a missionary, you know, that'd get her out of the house quicker. And she is so close. She is so close uh, to, to there. Uh, she's just got a few more dollars she's got to uh, build before she can leave. And that, that, that'd be a good thing. But I'm not bragging about this. I just want to tell you what God did. This is the craziest thing in the world. How many pe people live paycheck to paycheck? Anybody else here do that? Pay, live kind of paycheck to paycheck? It's not like at the end of your paycheck, you got a gazillion dollars left over in your checking account, Okay. Now, I won't say that my checking account usually is zero at the end of the month, though I have been there many, many times. I've been there many, many times. But it's not a lot. It's not a lot. In the last 12 months, at the end of a pay period, and I get paid twice a month, do you know what pay period I had the most balance in my checking account of any other pay period the last 12 months? It was the week that I added our daughter at $75 a month 
and said, hey, we want to support you at this level. And you know how much I had left over at the end of the, end of the pay period? $750. Now, is that weird or what? Is that weird? Or, I mean, that, that's fun. That is fun. You know, that, God did that. I didn't do that because we spent a lot. You know, we, we had good time. We did what we had to do. But, Chris, that's an amazing thing. But that's the God that we serve. Number three, receive God's forgiveness and walk in his righteousness today. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, happy are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed and happy is the person whose sin the Lord can never count against him. Aren't you tired of just carrying the burden of your sin on your shoulders? You don't have to. And this morning I want to invite you to do one of three things, okay? One of three things. Everybody here can do it. Number one, as we pray, uh, as we sing, I want you to get up and go over and say, you know what, I, I want to uh, focus on the blessings that God has given me in the world, uh, the hunger in the world and the need in the world, and I want to sign up for that 30-day symphony, uh, 30 30-hour symphony of prayer, uh, and there's a sign-up sheet. If I was singing, you can just go over and, and sign up there. Uh, or, or maybe you're uh, conflicted over this giving thing. I, I want you to go to the cross and say, God, I want to repent of my, uh, my stinginess, okay? And I want to start giving at a level that can be fun when I can see you uh, step into my life and bless me in a strong way. Or if you need to give your life to Jesus, I'll be here at the front, and I would love to make that happen for you. Let's pray together this morning. Guys, come forward and sing, and uh, then you respond. Lord Jesus, would you take this time now, and would you uh, drive into our minds the word that we have heard today? Father, would you make us conscious of the need in our world? And Father, move people here today to say, I, I just want to sign up. I want to I fast. I want to be on my knees an hour during that 30-hour famine in April. Move them there, Father. I pray, Father, that you'd move people to the foot of the cross because I know we've got some stingy people here, Lord. I've been stingy in my life in the past. And Father, it's just a, such a blessing to see what you do in my life. And Father, it's not just a blessing, it's fun to see what you do in my life as I put you uh, at a higher level uh, of trust. And Father, I just pray lastly that you'd move people to Jesus that need to accept him as Savior of their life. Father, would you move people in one of those three ways as we stand together as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Y'all move, please.